Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Talk. Unrivaled talk. Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It's Friday. We have reached the end of another week and what a tumultuous week it has been. Uh, we awake this morning to uh, a massive interview with Philip Schofield in The Sun, an exclusive by Clemmy Moody. Uh, we hope to speak to Clemmy later on in the show. Uh, we will be speaking to Kevin O'Sullivan, of course, and we will be talking to other people around the entire issue of the responsibility that ITV has. Because I think nobody can watch this, no matter what your view of Philip Schofield is, no matter what you think he has done, no matter matter what you think he should be punished for, you, nobody can look at that interview and think that this is a good situation for anybody. And what I'm going to be asking this morning is how on earth ITV have been able to let this situation spiral out of control to such an extent where you have the potential of a massive uh, television network crashing to the ground due to mismanagement, due to bad leadership and due to incredibly difficult and ridiculously made decisions, right? That's where we are with ITV. People have said to me all week, why are we covering this? Why is it such a big deal? Well, it's such a big deal because this is one of Britain's top companies literally being driven over a cliff by Carolyn McCall, who doesn't seem to know what she's doing and who seems to think it's perfectly good for her to continue to take £3.5 million. Meanwhile, you've got Philip Schofield, who's clearly a very damaged individual, uh, a man now saying, do you want me to die? into a camera. Now, I don't have very much sympathy for Philip Schofield. He got to where he is by putting himself there. But nevertheless, we are humans after all. And you don't want to see anybody really, really suffering. But an awful lot of people have suffered. And I blame ITV for allowing it to happen. Let's face it, they've got form because they haven't looked after people that have worked for them in the past. They haven't looked after people uh, who have appeared as presenters and indeed as guests on different shows. We know all of the stories from all of the, uh, the history of ITV and I think enough is enough. Piers Morgan this morning uh, has basically tweeted that unless and until the other individual in this um, um, couple situation with Philip Schofield, unless he comes out and criticises and uh, contradicts what Philip Schofield has said, surely... Um, this should be the end of it, shouldn't it? 
But I don't know. We'll hear from you on this as well. 0344 499 1000. Richard Tice joins me this morning. I'll get his view on it. We'll also talk about uh, the bizarre nature of the government suing itself over the WhatsApp messages uh, that Boris has or has not supplied. We'll also be talking about what on earth happened in Bournemouth. There's still an awful lot of questions about that. And also, uh, there's some migrant stories to do as well. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on. Good morning, and um, I suppose a happy Friday to most people watching this programme this morning on Talk TV. Richard Tice is here. Richard, nice to see you. It's good to see you, Mike. I think it's a confused morning, actually, yeah. and it's a bit of a confused week. Mm. Rather like the weather out yes. there, it's 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 June, but it's freezing cold. It is freezing cold. I came out this morning thinking, what on earth has happened to the global warming? <laughs> no, we're now into global cooling, right. as far as I can see. Right. It's the middle of summer, and it's freezing cold, and the events of the nation are, are chilly mm, at best. Absolutely. I mean, there's just wherever you look, there's extraordinary things mm. going on. The idea of a government that's suing itself yes. is deeply confusing right. and cannot be a good use of taxpayers' cash. Where do we want to begin with all of this stuff? Well, I mean, I suppose we ought to begin with The Sun's incredible headline this morning with Philip Schofield on the front of the paper saying, I'm broken and ashamed, but not a groomer. I mean, as I said just now at the start of the show, you you know, you you don't feel a great deal of sympathy for Philip Schofield on the basis that, you know, he put himself where he is. He created the situation. Uh, He has admitted himself that he lied to absolutely everybody, uh, including his own wife, including his his on-screen partner, Holly Willoughby, including his own lawyer, you know, and he's now uh, appearing to sort of paint himself as a victim. And but at the same time as saying that, you can kind of understand why this is an, un, an unpleasant situation yeah, I mean, for everybody. I mean, it's it's pretty difficult looking at that interview that he gave to Amar Rajan. But there's also the nature of his story is confusing mm. because it seems to conflict with what so many other people are saying about how long the relationship was, yeah. uh, who else knew about mm. it, whether or not he did or didn't stay overnight in his London apartment, mm. who paid for what. There's so much still that needs clarifying. Yeah. And some of his, what he has said, is in direct contradiction to what other people yeah. who were very close to Eamon Holmes, for example, Holmes, for example yeah. have said. So that then says, well, someone is still not telling the truth. And right. I think everybody, frankly, A, we need the truth. But as you say, look, we, we do need the, the real person or the real entity here that has messed up in big time is ITV. Yeah. Not ju- they've allowed this situation they've, to go they've, on they've, they've for year several, after yeah, year after they've year. They've had several opportunities to, to prevent something like this from happening, and they have taken none of those opportunities. And th- there's a real question mark about the quality of the so- so-called investigations mm. that they carried out. Right. And when everybody is talking about it, for, apparently for years, I think I was probably the last person to know in the nation, frankly, right. Yeah, right. because I don't watch daytime TV. Mm. But uh, this... Uh, you know, how ITV have ele- allowed this scandal to go on for so long, uh, who knew what where, mm. is, I think, really important. The almost complete silence from them, apart from one letter to mm. Ofcom. What about actually a letter to their shareholders yeah. explaining uh, what has gone on? Uh, right. a, a statement to the stock market. What are the non-execs doing right. in terms of challenging the chief exec who's presided over a complete catastrophic mm. performance of this company over yeah. the five years that she's And who is it. now going to be summoned before uh, the Parliamentary Committee on Wednesday, I believe. To Against her wishes, apparently. To specifically answer these questions and, and about quite, safeguarding uh, and about what the policies inside ITV actually are. And quite right, too. But yeah. apparently she was originally going to send 
some some manager as Underling. opposed to herself. Yeah. Again, a complete failure of leadership. So that's going to be an important day. And meanwhile, this morning is still. And meanwhile, this answer. morning is still going on. I'm told this morning, as we speak, uh, that they're actually looking into the, the interview. And they're, they're watching it on the show, and you kind of go, "How much more of this rubbish are you going to do? What are, you know? How much has to go wrong before you realise that this show is doomed? That the, the network is doomed if it carries on like this? They don't seem to be able to make any decision right. And of course, it all comes back to this critical word, trust. Yeah. And those who. Who've, who've watched and viewed that programme for many years, you know, many, many people across the country will have lost trust in, in both of them, uh, Phil and Holly. They'll have lost trust in the show. Uh, I suspect that many people will be losing trust in ITV yeah, as a brand. Absolutely. Uh, but it's rather similar to the loss of trust in uh, the people who run our government, mm. politicians in Westminster who say one thing and do another. Yeah. And well, look at the just, situation it, with Holly Willoughby. I mean, Holly Willoughby, who's sort of painted as this whiter-than-white angelic figure, you know, who's off in Portugal with her family in an £8 million uh, villa, by the way. Not that that's important, obviously. Um, he's saying on, in this interview with The Sun, uh, I'm deeply, deeply sorry that I lied to you. He's making a, a public apology to Holly Willoughby, right? Now, apparently, he has not heard from her. She has said nothing to him. Uh, since at least a week ago, they'd stopped speaking to each other before he even left ITV. Now, if you're going to talk about people and their kind of relationships, um, is it right that she's leaving him to sort of stew in his own juice like this? I mean, maybe she's not quite as angelic as she's making out to be. Well, uh, possibly. I guess there are just so many people in and around this whole tragedy. Mm. It is like a Shakespearean really tragedy, is. to be honest. Well, I So many it. people feel, feel utterly let down by him mm. and his untruths, his half-truths, his lies, yeah. his fibs. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, so I think many people are just feeling utterly, utterly uh, abused mm. in placing their faith mm. in someone who is sort of the... Right. The face of, of daytime TV, for heaven's sake. And he is the ultimate narcissist, I suppose you would have to say, because here he is yet again, demanding that people watch him, demanding that people feel sorry for him without actually saying it, and demanding that people see him now as a victim. Do you want me to die, is the words he, he uses on a BBC interview. And, and of course the answer to that well, is... Well, of course is, nobody wants is, him is, to die. Nobody wants him to die. No. Uh, sadly, the reality is everybody at some point eventually passes away but no one wants him to die he, but he is playing no, but it's like a top, but it's like a toxic relationship now you yeah. know where where somebody says to you i'm going to kill myself yes and i just he would have been better frankly not doing no. that interview i mean it's an incredible interview for the son to get um but it's a very, he's he's literally sort of turned everything on its head again and that's kind of what narcissists do uh, and then, of course, it it re-emphasises how ITV have completely failed. They've just lost to, the plot to to look after the senior people mm. uh, at the front of mm. their organisation, the sort of the, the, the right. frontline people. But they've also failed to look after people, other people in the organisation. Yeah. They failed but at every a whole single level. That. But they've got a whole history of that. And here we are again in a situation where we're talking about somebody that might commit suicide as a result of something that they haven't done. Yeah, but it, it, it's amazing. It, 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 it tragically beggars belief, mm. actually, how badly they've handled it. And yet all the people, the senior people involved in running that organisation are all still there yeah. saying almost absolutely zero to anybody. I mean, imagine having to go to work at ITV at the moment, I, I, no matter what position you're in. Yeah, it, it, must, be, uh, it, it must be horrendous, frankly, because yeah. you don't know who's, who's covering up what, who's telling the truth. Mm. 
uh, who's... And you don't know who's going to say what next. No. And that's the other thing that ICV have lost, is control of the story. They don't have control of the story. They never did have control of it, and it could be literally going anywhere. Uh, that's right. And that's because they allowed rumours over many years to circulate and to carry on, and they didn't bottom it out yeah. one way or another. Mm. And... Uh, get to the get to the reality mm. of the situation yeah. and deal with it. Yes, absolutely right. We'll be talking about this story obviously throughout the course of the show, throughout the course of the day. An incredible exclusive interview with Philip Schofield in the Sun uh, and on Sun TV. We'll play you all of that as we go through the day. Uh, but second of all, I want to talk to you, Richard, about the migrant crisis because you've had a bit of an intervention. Uh, it seems to me over the last uh, twenty four hours. Well, I have indeed because I heard about uh, these asylum seekers. Uh, that had been moved to central London, who weren't happy with the quality of their accommodation in Pimlico, in yes. central London, which right. is a very smart part of this capital Just down city. the road from the Tate. Uh, just down the road from the Tate, not too far from Westminster. So I went this morning yeah. at about 7.45 mm. to have a chat with them, and I think that uh, I took a little video, which I think we can play yes. a little excerpt of here. Let's have a look now. Well, here we are. I'm standing outside the Comfort Inn on Belgrave Road in SW1 Pimlico, the centre of London, and I'm here... With Dia. Dia, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for talking to me. So tell me, what's going on here? Why are people sleeping out on the streets? Where have they come from? Yeah, these people come from another hotel, and this hotel is not good, actually. So they've come from a hotel in yeah. in uh, in S Ilford, Essex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I see. And so, but they don't like this hotel. Yeah, yeah. And why do they not yeah. like this hotel? This hotel is not good, really. It has too much smell and... Too much room, smell. Yeah, and room is very small. They want to. The rooms put, are too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they want to put four people in one room. That's not fair. Four people in one room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Ilford, how many people in one room? Two. Two people. Yeah, yeah. And did you have your and own the bathroom? Big rooms. Yeah, big yeah, rooms. Yeah. Nice rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very nice. Here is very bad. Here is very bad in the centre of very London. Small rooms very small. Bathroom too small? Yeah, too much. I'm so sorry about that. That's really, really shocking that the bathroom is too small. But do you get nice food here? Yeah, food is bad. Food is good. So you're happy with the food? That's nice. Or we, maybe we'd get you better food. Would you like better food? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Food's, food's okay. Okay. And what about uh, you get mobile phones? Um, well, unbelievable, incredible, and it, and so then his real concern actually, apart from the small bathrooms, yeah. Mike, was the quality of the Wi-Fi yeah. was disappointingly slow and was weak, yeah. and that's obviously very serious. Yes, uh, and he was also so unhappy. they've obviously got phones that they can use then. So they've got they've they've got devices they use, although he said right. that wasn't provided by yeah. by the government. I did then ask him. Uh, who? How long he'd been? He's been here two years. He said he two was two years. Two years he's been here. Blimey! Uh, living in Essex, Ilford in Essex. I mean, that's punishment enough for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> steady, steady. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Too easy. And so he's been here two years. He says he was from Iraq. Yeah. And uh, yes, and he then said. So he's basically been in a hotel for two. He's years. He's been in a hotel for two years. A nice, nice room with a big bathroom, yeah. but this is a small bathroom. Yeah. And a bit smelly. and and and, uh, and the, the Wi-Fi is disappointing. But uh, then, of course, he wasn't happy with the amount of money that he's been given subsistence money right. uh, per week because, obviously, central London is, yeah, it's is expensive. Not cheap, it's not a cheap place, yeah. Pimlico. Many people would like to live in Pimlico but can't afford yeah. to live in Pimlico. Uh, any size bathroom, mm. frankly. And uh, then I asked him who was paying for this, and uh, he agreed that it was the government and yeah. that actually it's the British taxpayer 
right. who is paying for him to live here for two years. And I mean, did he say anything about how long he hopes to stay here for? No, no he didn't. But I then went and had a chat with the manager of the hotel mm. who wouldn't let me in to see the size of these uh, these bedrooms right. and bathrooms. He said that wasn't possible. Uh, but he said, yes, it's been uh, it's been used as a asylum seeker hotel for a uh, for a very considerable period of time. Right. And he didn't think that the bathrooms were too small and the bedrooms were too small. Right. So there was a difference of opinion of that. It's an extraordinary state of affairs, isn't it? I mean, it's just ridiculous. We're going to take a little break because we're running slightly over at the moment. Richard Tice is here. He's been to see uh, these um, uh, migrants who are not happy uh, with their lots and, in fact, are demonstrating by sleeping out on the streets uh, of Pimlico, which is making Pimlico streets look a little bit scruffy, has to be said. Uh, But more from Richard Tice, more from me. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll talk some more about the Migrant Hotel in Pimlico in a moment with Richard Tice. But first of all, Richard, I want you to have a look at this because uh, over in the United States of America, uh, things are hotting up as we prepare uh, for the upcoming presidential election. Joe Biden's been out and about. Have a look at this. He's basically he's basically being uh, presented with something. Oh, and down he goes. I'm afraid uh, he's taken a header down to the floor, tripped over a sandbag, apparently, and he was at some naval... Um, 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 open day of some kind. And I mean, as much as, again, you don't want to be laughing at something like that, but, you know, you have a president of the United States, the, the, the man that's supposed to be the leader of the free world can't put one foot in front of another without yeah, falling look, over. Yeah, it's, look, it's a tragic video to mm. watch of an old man, let's be honest, that's he what is. he is. But unbelievably, when you look really closely, there is actually, it's not a sandbag, it's a very small step, yeah. just a couple of inches, which is incredibly stupid, frankly, to put there uh, right. for, for, for anybody, yeah. let alone for someone uh, of his age. Who can't see very who we well. know has a, has a history of falling up and down stairs yeah. on airline stairs and, and, and such like. Uh, so, I mean, he and his team will be absolutely fuming around the stage management of this. But the bottom line is someone of that age, that frailty, I mean, he will be, he will be bruised and battered this morning after that sort of fall. Because unfortunately, that's what happens when when people of that sort of age yeah. take a fall. Uh, they will all be him. He just should not be on oh, the ballot also, paper next also, November. He is yeah. not up to it. He can't be. And also, for the sake of, of, of whether it's social media or news channels or whatever, this video has now been seen by billions and billions of people around the world. And that's America. Whether they like it or not, that's America's image. Right that's there. America's image in front of people who do not wish it well, whether they be in Russia, whether they be in the leadership yeah. of China. And it's a terrible image. Yeah. You can imagine what uh, what Donald Trump will be. Uh, will well, be, will uh, be. you don't have to imagine because I've got a quote from him here. He said to his supporters that it was not inspiring for the Air Force graduates who had witnessed it. I hope he wasn't hurt. He says you don't want that. So, I mean, it's a gift for Donald Trump because Donald Trump, whatever you may say, is not that much younger than Joe Biden, but he's a lot more, you know, sort uh, of cognizantly capable. It, it, it's uh, No one ever saw Donald Trump trip up in the uh, in the way that Biden has on a number of occasions, mm. and regrettably, it is it's uh, an indication that uh, that he's, he's, his cognitive abilities are not all there, and his spatial worse. awareness they are getting worse, and uh, it's it, it's just it's actually just sad to see mm. uh, someone who is you wonder whether he's almost being used by some of the people around him to mm. their own ends, yeah. And yes, it, just, it just can't be allowed to carry on. I mean, if on. you were Jill Biden, his wife, you think you would say, I really don't think you should run 
for the next time uh, around because it's not going to be good for you, it's not going to be good for the family, and inevitably it's not going to be good for the country. It's, and it's not good for the free world, for the democratic world, yeah. frankly, right. in, uh, in the sort of the geopolitical situation that we face where you've got someone like that mm. who, is, who is struggling to, to walk around a stage. Yeah. It's, it's just not a healthy situation Absolutely for anybody. Right. Um, and we will come back to the migrants, I promise you, because there's a weird story in the Times today about how Britain is now striking a deal with yet another country uh, to do uh, migrant business with, and that's Georgia. Now, I would challenge quite a lot of people to even know where Georgia is. It's a former sort of Soviet satellite state, um, east of uh, Eastern Europe. But we'll come back to that, because let's talk about that bizarre story from Bournemouth, which we, you and I spoke about yesterday, um, which is an incredible example of, yet again, how the police in this country seem to not know how to handle a situation where they could give out some more information, but they don't. And then they ask people not to speculate on what's happened. But they literally have told us nothing. They've told us nothing. So guess what? People are speculating. Yeah. And it's, it's an absolute tragedy uh, that uh, two, two young people uh, aged 12 and 17 yeah. uh, have died. The whole thing is a tragedy. It'll have to come out right. what has happened. Yeah. Uh, there's now a, a, a vessel, a boat that's been impounded. Yeah. It's... Um, Heaven knows what has gone on mm. there, but the other yeah, police do need uh, an exercise, exercise in in proper uh, press management and communication yeah. in order to uh, to reassure and, and for people, therefore, not to speculate. Yeah, about exactly. What's I mean, happened. they had a press conference yesterday, which it seemed to me to basically just be done in order to thank everybody for being such good responders, and the fact that the helicopters turned up, and the fact that the police turned up, and the fact that you know they were able to get the situation under control. And that's an important part of the well, process. That's fine, I guess. but it's not why you have a press conference. I mean, you have a press conference basically to inform the press of what the story is, don't you? And therefore, the people. Yeah. And yeah, I think uh, look, there'll be, there's a lot of pressure. Let's hope they get to get to the bottom of uh, yeah. what's gone on there. It's just, just an awful situation. It really is. Uh, absolutely. Just back to the migrant situation. I mean, Georgia, as I say, has suddenly popped up as another uh, destination for people. According to Rishi Sunak and this meeting they've been having over in uh, Moldova, ministers hope that Georgia will provide a new model of migrant returns, an arrangement uh, that they previously were hoping to have with Rwanda. Um, we've now got deals with Albania and Serbia, but they're also now saying that they'll send people back to Georgia who are not from Georgia. No, the, the government is flailing around. I mean, you've, got, you've got Robert Jenrick flailing around Africa, yeah. trying to sort of uh, reset the colonial world. You've got Rishi Sunak trying to organise returns agreements. How about we just actually stop the boats leaving France in right. the first place? Exactly. I would have thought that's the thing. And coming back to this, this gentleman I met this morning in yeah. Pimlico, who's not happy with the quality of his Wi-Fi in his small bathroom. Um, he's been here two years, yeah. and that's just absurd. We're paying for it because of the Home Office's incompetence. And now you've got Rishi Sunak trying to sort of uh, rush around the world to sort of belatedly deal with yeah. this situation. It's, it, the whole thing's complete but madness. you and I, Richard, have been talking about this migrant problem for at least four years, probably, right? And only in the last, say, six months or so has the government even begun to properly address it. And I don't think even they know the scale of how bad it is. Uh, they, they are they are so incompetent mm. in so many areas. This is an area of clear incompetence we've been talking about. But look at the madness elsewhere in the government that they're now suing mm. the other. own judge. Yeah. They're suing each other. I mean, they set up an inquiry. Rishi Sunak and the previous Prime Minister Boris Johnson said that it would be uh, it would be transparent and uh, get to the bottom of, of everything that went on with COVID. Now they're suing the judge 
because they don't want the judge to do what they're paying her to do, which is a good job on behalf of the people. Right. And, and therefore, the judge wants to be the judge, bizarrely. She wants what, to get she wants to messages get the, to read. She wants to get the WhatsApp messages because she's realised that actually that's probably the quickest, fastest way to understand who was taking what decisions on yeah. the back of what information at the time throughout the whole period of the lockdowns. And the government suddenly said, oh, no, we don't want that. We don't right. want the truth to come out. Shocking thought. Mm. We wanted you just to kick the can down the road for, uh, and for five or ten years. doesn't that tell you about the business of government now in this country, where it's all about what it looks like rather than what it is? That let's open an inquiry, which means let's not open an inquiry. It's a bit like ITV. You know, let's have an investigation, but let's not really have an investigation. Let's just say we're having an investigation. Exactly. And then we can say, well, we can't tell you any answers to anything because there's an investigation. You, uh, you, you right? literally couldn't make this up. You've got one department who sent over tens of thousands of documents, but actually none of them want to send over the most useful things, which is actually what communications, because remember, government was being done by WhatsApp at the time because many people couldn't meet. Mm. So maybe that's really the most useful thing that uh, that should be sent over. The challenge now is for individual ministers to say, we're going to send over uh, the WhatsApp messages from our phones. Boris Johnson Mm. is almost there. I think others, people like Grant Shapps and co, all of them, frankly, now, should they should just say, no, this is wrong. We've got to send the information. Mm. Otherwise, we look completely ridiculous, wasting our taxpayers' right. cash on suing the judge that we appointed. You you just, yeah. this is, I mean, you couldn't make it up. You would, We wouldn't put this in a sort of fiction or a no. comedy. You wouldn't put it in David Brent's The Office, for no. heaven's sake. And let's not forget, you know, their best guess as when the inquiry actually comes to an end is 2026, Approximately three years from now. Uh, no, that's when they stop taking the, uh, the, the the hearings. Yeah. But of course, this will actually delay it even further. Right. And then they've got to actually produce the written report. Right. It's absolutely incredible what they're doing. And of course, as we say, you cannot ask the person to whom you are investigating, which bits of uh, our investigation would you like to help us with? Would you like to help us with all of it or just a little bit of it? Uh, would you like to withhold some things from us? I mean, that's effectively what the cabinet officers that's, say. That's the sort of thing that you see in a dictatorship of a tin pot country elsewhere in the world where uh, basically you're, you're, you're telling judges how to operate, how yeah. to act, what they can say, what they can see. That is not a transparent democracy that's trying to get to the bottom of what was a very, very difficult period for the nation. Now, apparently there's a Boris Johnson update on this, just breaking. He said in a letter to the chairman of the COVID-19 inquiry that he is willing to hand over all unredacted WhatsApp messages, including material from a previous phone, discarded due to security reasons. Now, this is the two phones thing, uh, where the the, the load of messages that he sent them the other day turn out not to even cover the COVID period because it was a phone that he got after COVID had gone. That's right. Um, So this is his original phone, which was discarded because everybody had the number so this that's is right so actually he was told that it was a major security risk yeah he should turn that phone off right. and not turn it on again and right. what he's and what he's now saying is that that phone as long as he can be assured that uh, the security risks will not be breached mm. when the if the inquiry take that phone and its messages as they right. open it up then he will give it to them and therefore they will have all of the information here's the thing though if the former prime minister boris johnson is giving all of his whatsapp messages then, frankly, it's game over for the government's mm. position. Rishi Sunak looks utterly ridiculous mm. with his protestations of wanting to be accountable yeah. and full of integrity and transparency. Yeah. What a load of gibberish I mean, and garbage. Also, can you just see how government works? I mean, if this is how they get themselves into a mess over a simple inquiry that they've ordered, is it any wonder they can't get anything else done? <laughs> it's it's no mean, wonder at all. I think we are <laughs> seeing their incompetence and their stupidity right. in... It's, it's tragic, uh, fulsome, 
hopefulness. I mean, it's just truly, truly unbelievable. If you wrote a fiction like this, people would say, don't be ridiculous. It cannot be that bad. Nobody could be that hopeless and useless. Yeah, I know. But yet they seem to be. But they are. Um, Now, it's impossible to predict what's going to come uh, in the next 48 hours of news in the cycle, but you've got the big show on Sunday. And um, I'll probably have to I'll have to write my Sunday sermon at about have 10 to 10 on Sunday yeah, morning because events are moving so quickly in so many different areas. <laughs> Who know. knows? Incredible. Uh, great to see you, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. Richard, back at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Don't miss that because it's a great show uh, right here on Talk TV. Coming next, we're going to be finding out from a big top TV critic what happens next with the Schofield scenario. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. With all this news that's going on today, it's almost uh, difficult to remember that there's actually another rail strike going on. Mick Lynch was on with uh, James Max this morning talking about how oh, we're not ideological and then started raving on about how much money they were wasting on the COVID inquiry. I mean, he might have a point, but you know, it's very obvious that the uh, RMT are not at all interested in going back to work. Uh, what I would have asked him if I was James was how much exactly is uh, every single member of RMT giving up? They've been striking for a year. If they're supposedly hard done by and they can't get by and they can't afford to feed their families, how is it possible that they can afford to take so many days off without pay? That would be a question to ask. That would be a good question to find out the root cause of. But, of course, uh, we didn't get that particular answer. A couple of tweets for you. Uh, Karen in Taunton says, Mike, all this I lied to everyone feels like Phil is taking one for the team, trying to protect those that knew and enabled him. The only people I feel sorry for are the lad, his wife and his kids. He's had his day now. He's only feeling sorry for himself. The vape was a prop. He just as well should have had a bottle of booze, on the other hand, to gain sympathy. I expect the only friend he has left now is Gordon the Gopher. Well... Indeed. Uh, Tracy says, Mike, uh, Biden falling yesterday looked like a professional stuntman fall. I don't think so. Um, and Terry and Slough says, that interview Richard had with the asylum seekers sums up everything that is wrong with this great country of ours. I bet many of our pensioners wouldn't mind living in a hotel rent-free. And as for the government suing itself, I've come to the conclusion that this country is run by a bunch of idiots and Labour are no better. Well, I think you'd probably have to conclude that. We'll be talking to uh, John Rental coming up a little bit later on uh, in this hour. We're going to find out from him precisely what on earth is going on when the government is beginning to start suing itself. John in Sutton says, I agree with your sentiments on Schofield. He is in a bad way, but no way should ITV management still be in their jobs. Well, I think that's right. It's incredible to me that ITV can continually make mistake after mistake after mistake uh, the, the chief executive officer, um, Ka- Carolyn McCall, is going to be appearing before parliamentary committee next week in which they're going to ask her about the safeguarding of people who worked at ITV. They're going to be asking her about precisely what ITV policy was, because going all the way back to various situations to do with Love Island, to do with Caroline Flack, to do with Jeremy Kyle, to do with Jerem- uh, Jeremy Clarkson, Piers Morgan, you know, the entire litany of errors that have been made by ITV management just doesn't add up that they're all still there. Absolutely incredible. Let's talk now though to Matthew Simpson, who's a reporter with the Bournemouth Echo. We saw yesterday a police press conference which we brought to you live uh, here on the show, uh, in which they didn't reveal very much about anything, um, and everyone was left pretty much none the wiser about what happened um, two days ago when unfortunately two young people were killed and several other people were injured uh, due to some kind of incident in the sea. Let's talk to Matthew and find out what the latest is. Matthew, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks for joining us. Um, it's a very odd situation, this, isn't it? I mean, the police more and more now, whenever there is an incident, are, are very reluctant to give away any details, it seems. And very frustrating for, for people like ourselves and for you, um, trying to find out precisely what happened. I mean, we've got a bit more of a clue now since they seem to have um, taken this boat um, into custody, if you like. Tell us what the latest is. Yeah, so obviously there's a big mystery around here about what's actually going on. Police are being very tight-lipped yeah. about what's happening as well. Um, they have said what hasn't happened, but they haven't said what has happened. Right. Um, obviously, there's a boat that has been seized by the police um, called the Dorset Bell, which operates from the pier. Uh, it's a pleasure boat. And, um, yeah, they, but they still haven't confirmed whether this is to do with the investigation or not. Mm. I mean, there's obviously an awful lot of um, what can be described as social media footage doing the rounds because they referred to that yesterday and asked people not to post it, but rather to send it to the police. Um, and it's very difficult, obviously, whenever these things happen to draw conclusions from anything that you can see. Um, but what we, as you say, let, let's, let's go through the things they've ruled out. They said there were no jet skis involved. Nobody in the water was hit by a vessel of any kind. Um, the two people who did die apparently drowned. And the man who was taken into custody on suspicion of manslaughter has been let go, right? Yeah, that's right. So he's been released uh, under investigation. And, you know, this is all we know. Well, we also know that he's not related to the two uh, children who died. Okay. One from High Wycombe and one from Southampton. The girls from High Wycombe, the 12-year-old, and the uh, boy, 17-year-old boy from Southampton. And... Yeah, we're struggling to find out any more details. And, mm. you know, we're constantly in touch with the police trying to find out more, but just remaining tight-lipped. And it's not helping at all because, as you say, you know, things have been spread on social mm. media, there's speculation everywhere, and it's not helpful to the case one bit or public confidence. No, quite. And, I mean, Bournemouth obviously is a place where lots of people go during the summer months. The beaches are very, very busy there. It's the place where you always see uh, photographed in national newspapers, you know, few what scorcher, there they all are. I mean, is it having any effect on, on the people going to the beaches? I saw there was a punch-up there yesterday as well. Yeah, there was a little bit of a brawl. Not too many details on that, but there was a little bit of a brawl involving quite a few people. Uh, one man detained. But, um, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of unease perhaps around the beach. Um, but then again, there's not that much unease because, um, you know, there's um, people still out enjoying sunning themselves, as you can tell. And, um, yeah, it's it's very much business as usual, pretty much. Mm, OK. And did the police say they've got any scheduled sort of press conferences this weekend or today at any point? Not that I've heard. I've not heard any confirmation on this. Um, you know, like I say, we're constantly in touch with them, trying to find out more. Um, I'm hoping so, because it can't go on for much longer, this yeah. speculation. Something has to come out about what happened down at the pier yeah. and in the water. And, I mean, yesterday we didn't listen in for long enough because we couldn't uh, to any questions that were asked, but presumably they didn't really answer any questions, did they? No, no. They've ruled out what hasn't happened. But, you know, n not confirmed what has happened. Right. And we just can't understand why, because it's not helping the case. It's not helping our no. jobs. It's not helping no. public confidence one bit. No, it's a very strange situation. Well, Matthew, listen, thanks for talking to us. Appreciate your time. Um, it's a very odd way for the police to conduct themselves. I mean, there was a bit of this, wasn't there, um, uh, in the Nicola Bully case up in uh, uh, the northwest uh, earlier this year. And there's been situations like this in the past where they just don't, 
want to cooperate with the press. It's almost as though it's a sort of pathological hatred uh, of giving out any piece of information just in case they're sort of criticised for it, which seems very weird indeed. But we'll come back to that. Um, let's talk now to some of you instead. Paul's in Devon. I uh, want to talk about Philip Schofield. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well, sir. What can I do for you? Uh, I'm just getting back to this Schofield thing. Yeah. You know, I've been on the receiving end of uh, grooming. Uh, not that anything like that has been suggested here. Right. Well, he's denied it, but, in fact, hasn't he? Yeah, but you've got uh, proven diligent reporters, journalists yeah. rather, what yourself one, Eamon Holmes another, yeah. Piers Morgan another, not proven liars. Right. Schofield is now a self-confessed liar. He is. I've watched both the interviews, not only the one that was done by The Sun, also the one done by the BBC. Mm. Why has he gone to the BBC? He's gone to the BBC because they are pretty good at uh, covering up and hiding paedophiles that were in there. Savile one, Harris another. Yeah. He, they've offered him a, probably a career there. He's going to probably go into a job, something like Strictly. Mm. Something's going on there. This story's going to run. It's I'm not. I'm not. Oh, yeah, and the story's definitely going to run. I don't think he's got any place on television anywhere, though, has he? Uh, I, no, I think he has. He wouldn't. Why? Why has he gone to the BBC? He could have gone to Sky. He could have gone anywhere. He's gone. He's gone. ITV is uh, is a, a private company. Yeah. So anything that goes on in there affects the share price, which is exactly what's happening yeah. within the BBC. It's owned by the public, us licensed players. Yeah. So whatever happens, the hierarchy will make our decision whether we like it or not. Mm. You know, that, that, that for sure is not going to change. Is she going to be on that settee on Monday? Me personally, no, because Miss McCall is... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I can't see it. I cannot see it. Because if she was to appear on Monday, and we'll talk to Kevin O'Sullivan about this coming up in a little while, if she was to be there on... The only way she could be there on Monday is to make a massive statement at the beginning of the show all about her and her relationship with Philip Schofield and what she knew, what she didn't know. She'd have to tell the truth, and I don't think she wants to do that. Eamon Holmes has said in his interview that cars were sent to pick this lad up, yeah. paid for by ITV, there are records of it. He's, uh, Schofield has said in his interview, absolute rubbish. Yeah, he says, he, says he, does, he says he didn't have an ITV account, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't paid for by ITV, first of all. And he says Absolutely. it only happened once. And again, Absolutely. we've only got his word for that, and he's, and he's a self-confessed liar, as you say. He's proven, he's proven that to himself. Someone here 
for sure whether it's Martin Frisell, as you know, started his career as a reporter on TVAM. He did. He's now he's now head of this morning. Me personally, that, I don't. I haven't watched it since since that big debacle on when he came out being gay on yeah. TV and they hugged him. You know, one thing that's not been mentioned in all this, right, is the lad's parents, mm. right. It's been said, uh, again, not proven, he met that boy 14, 15 at a school. Now, me personally, if my son had anything to do with somebody of that age, the reason this has been allowed to go on is because his notoriety mm. in public life. Yeah. He, they thought, well, our son's got a career here, but there's obviously there was an ulterior motive. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I don't know what happened, but what seems to me uh, to be the case is that if nothing went wrong and nothing happened other than he just made a mistake, why is he why is he resigned? You know, why is he doing this big mea culpa? Why is he saying he lies to everybody if it wasn't that big of a deal? Exactly. It's legal in this country to have sex at 16. Yeah. Whether you're gay, whatever. Right. So if what he's saying is not wrong, he's, he's said that there's no non-disclosure agreement signed. Yeah. So the only way that anyone can really say any different about Schofield is the lad. Yeah. If he comes out and says... Well, this is oh, precisely no, no. what Piers Morgan said this morning. He basically said, and thanks, Paul, basically said, look, if the, the, the kid does not come out, who's now no longer a kid, if the, if the man does not come out and contradict what Schofield has said, um, then what are we supposed to believe? But then again, uh, it appears that Schofield is, a, is apparently now speaking uh, for his former lover as well. Let's talk to Bill, who's in Glasgow. Hi, Bill. Hello, mate. How you doing? Good morning. Not bad at all. Not Good man. All. What can I do for you? Uh, but really, um, I, I spoke to a colleague and I was basically pointing out to him that, you know how people are saying just now, um, oh, he's in such a bad place, mm. or Philip Oldfield himself, yes. is saying, oh, I'm in such a dark place. And I am a soft person. I'll always give people a, usually the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I don't know why people do not see straight through this man. Yeah. I think some people do take that view. Well, the thing is, see when he handed that piece of paper over to David Cameron? Yeah. After about three minutes' research, it took me longer to look up a recipe for Indian curry. Right. Right? (laughs) And he'd done that, handed that to David Cameron, and not only were they innocent men, but he plunged them into what must be the deepest darkness that a human being can Mm. go into, especially if you're innocent. And nobody's really pulling him up on that and saying, you know, what what is that? Who do you think you are? Right. Well, I mean, once that starts to happen, I suppose there, there will be people who will go back over his career there and they'll start looking at some of the things that he did and asking those questions. But for right now, what he appears to have done is bought himself some time because some people are saying, oh, isn't he in a bad way? Well, basically, that's the thing. Like, do you know what it's like? It's like, um, imagine, uh, very quickly, It's imagine somebody does something to you, mm. and that's one thing, but if they do it to your brother or sister, they'll get a much angrier person out of you. Yeah. It's exactly. just that's in all of us, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a ridiculous situation that we find ourselves in. And I still say much of the blame lies with ITV. Bill, thanks very much indeed. Uh, Mike in Oxford says this. Mike Sunak's behaviour sums him and his, like, uh, his ilk up, throw billions away during COVID without scrutiny and repeatedly lying. COVID laws only apply to us. He lied about fracking, which is a way out of our troubles. And no doubt, like Boris, will continue to fly around on jollies, solving basically net zero. And now we find Turkey's helping migrants enter Europe while doing billion dollar euro deals to supply Germany with electricity, a country swamped with migrants and short of energy due to Merkel's policies. There's no joined up thinking in Europe, a continent run by lunatics. (laughs) 
Well, just get it off your chest, Mike. That's what we do here uh, at Talk TV. We're here to help. Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking some more about the migrant problem. Robert Old is going to join us. Also, uh, we'll talk to Rupert Bell, ahead of the Derby. Uh, he's going to be doing that for Talk Sport, of course, our sister station. Uh, and what you might want to do uh, is make sure that if you're going, uh, you're not going to get stumped by one of these animal activists who are going to try and throw themselves around and stop the race from happening. Absolutely disgraceful. Can we just have a day without a protest or a strike? Do you think that's at all possible? Any chance? Any chance at all? This is Talk TV. Much more to come, of course. Robert Olds is going to join us shortly. We'll talk a bit about that Moldova meeting because it's at that meeting uh, we see from Rishi Sunak's pictures in the papers this morning uh, that they are now striking deals with different countries. So... Georgia, apparently, is the next one um, where we're going to send people, whether or not they've come from Georgia. I'm not aware that many asylum seekers actually do come from Georgia anyway. Uh, it's a former sort of satellite state uh, of the Soviet Union. It's one of those areas of sort of Eastern Europe uh, that's on the brink of being part of Russia, but sort of isn't. But now, apparently, Georgia uh, joins Rwanda, uh, joins Bulgaria and joins Turkey as one of the many countries that we are going to be sending people to whether they like it or not. Not quite sure what the plan is here. Let's talk to Robert Olds, director of the Bruges Group. Robert, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Um, I wonder whether they just have a kind of a map somewhere in the Foreign Office and they sort of throw darts at it and go, that's a good place to send people. So we've now got Rwanda, Georgia. We're talking to Bulgaria. We're talking to Turkey. Um, I don't know what well, France, I suppose, we've given a load of money to. I mean, what's next? Well, of course, the, you were absolutely right. The country we should be uh, perhaps sending migrants to for processing would indeed be France. Right. Have uh, pushed pushed them here. Indeed, what the British government's been doing has been paying France a lot of money to not produce, not police the English Channel. And but of course, this is a policy that has worked elsewhere in terms of sending migrants abroad abroad for processing. Uh, Australia pioneered it and it worked very successfully uh, sending people to islands in the in the pacific to to be to be to be processed and of course the number of people making the perilous journeys across the seas which can be incredibly rough and dangerous to australia reduced dramatically and of course australia has a pioneering uh, immigration system where of course they let in uh, numbers that they need and people of skills that they need and are very selective about it and it works very well for them and britain seems to be following that policy although ever so lately and very belatedly indeed because of course migration is at record numbers mm. but thankfully the conservative government is currently trying to do something about it and push this policy which has been frustrated by lawyers at almost every step but of course it is perhaps many would argue too little too late but, of course, it's underway and showing what can indeed be done. It's a model that's worked elsewhere and it can work for Britain. And countries are clearly lining up to partner with the UK. Well, let's hope it can work because up to now, nothing has really worked. And it's only really been relatively recently that the government has even kind of acknowledged uh, what the problem is. Because I don't know whether you saw us uh, earlier this morning, Robert, but Richard Tice was in uh, and he was down in Pimlico earlier on today uh, interviewing an asylum seeker who was living in a hotel there, having moved there from Essex. Let's have a look at this. Well, here we are. I'm standing outside the Comfort Inn on Belgrave Road in SW1 Pimlico, the centre of London. And I'm here with Dia. Dia, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for talking to me. So tell me, what's going on here? Why are people sleeping out on the streets? Where have they come from? Yeah, these people 
come from in another hotel and this hotel is not good actually so they've come from a hotel in yeah, yeah. in uh, in S Ilford Essex yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah, yeah. I see and so but they don't like this hotel yeah, yeah. and why do they not yeah. like this hotel this hotel is not good really it has too much smell and too much room, smell yeah and room is very small they want to the rooms put, are too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they want to put four people in one room. That's not fair. Four people in one room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Ilford, how many people in one room? Two. Two people. Yeah, yeah. And do you have your and own the bathroom? Big rooms. Yeah, big yeah, rooms. Yeah. Nice rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very nice. Here is very bad. Here is very bad in the centre of very London. Small rooms very small. Bathroom too small. Yeah, too much. I'm so sorry about that. That's really, really shocking that the bathroom is too small. But do you get nice food here? Yeah, food is bad. Food is good. So you're happy with the food. That's nice. Or we, maybe we'd get you better food. Would you like better food? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Food's, food's okay. Okay. And what about uh, you get mobile phones? I mean, Robert, Richard said to me that he asked him how long he'd been here. Um, and he's been here two years, which actually shocked me. And I mean, I'm not very easily shocked. He's been living in a hotel in Britain paid for by us for two years. And now he's in Pimlico and he's not happy about the size of the bathroom. It is astounding. Of course, this is, as you mentioned, paid for at taxpayers' expense yeah. and it's costing millions. And Talk TV have been very bold uh, following this story, highlighting it when other, other course, media outlets mm. have been reluctant to do so. Uh, and, of course, highlighting that the criminality, indeed, that's being perhaps being brought into the UK, people making these journeys, of course, people from from Albania. Yeah. And of course, there is a, is a security issue as well, because these people clearly aren't being processed on time. And that's an injustice for this country and having to pay for it. And those who genuinely need our help. But clearly, mm. all the young men coming to this country are following a pattern of migration worldwide, where men will go from two other countries to find and seek work and send the money back home to support their, their families. This is what's happening uh, in people going from uh, the Indian subcontinent to states in, uh, in, in, in Arabia, for instance, on the, on the Persian Gulf, or of course, uh, people from Central and South America going, going to California, and of course, Albanians or people uh, for, of, of that uh, description. Kosovo is, is one of the, often the locations that people come to this country, men coming here to event, essentially to find work and abusing the asylum system. Mm. It's taking away resources and time from those who actually genuinely have cases of persecution and need to have their uh, cases processed quickly and efficiently so they can be integrated in the UK. Whereas, of course, people like this are essentially just wasting mm. time and wasting money. Uh, when of course you know one really does wonder whether this uh, whether many of these people are indeed genuine asylum seekers right. but if sending them overseas would of course deter the, deter many people making the journeys which of course is also dangerous to the UK and really we need to be addressing uh, our resources mm. to those who are already in this country and those who genuinely need our help and, uh, and are grateful for it but of course this is a story of many people in London many people in London would claim that their houses, uh, their flats indeed, are too small and their bathrooms are in, are, are inadequate yeah. because there's so much pressure because it's not just the illegal migration or, of course, those who are abusing potentially the asylum system. It's also the legal migration is absolutely so high. This is putting pressure on resources, on the supply of houses and the supply 
of, of, of services, which is making it hard for everybody. And Britain has been very generous, perhaps too generous so far. And this is now losing public support. And we need to really be more um, more selective about yeah. who we're putting in and make sure that resources and, uh, and this country is there to serve those who are already here or those yeah. who are but you, but you can see how they can lose people in the system, can't you? I mean, here's a guy who's probably one of thousands of people who have been here for, for that length of time, easily for two years. You know, when you're talking about 45,000 coming last year alone, you know, they'll all still be here, no doubt. I think we've only exported or deported a, a few hundred, basically, compared to what we used to be able to uh, deport. And the bottom line is, is that you're going to lose the, the truth. You're going to lose the facts. You're going to have no documentation. You're going to, you know, by the time you get to a home office desk, people are going to go, so you've been living in this country for two years. Um, why did you come? I mean, they could say anything at that point because, you know, nobody remembers, you know, through the mists of time, whether there was a particular uprising in a particular country at a particular date, you know, nobody remembers. And we also learned today um, that most... Um, People in the foreign office are work, still working from home. Many people in the home office are still working from home. Nothing's being done. It's an entire system is a shambles. Yeah, the home office is, of course, uh, absolutely failing in this matter. In many cases, when uh, uh, asylum seekers are having their, their cases reviewed and being assessed, the lawyers from the home office will fail to turn up. So their asylum uh, application is often going unchallenged. This happens far too frequently and of course in such circumstances the courts will then just allow them allow them to stay uh, in many cases people will just disappear into the into the black economy there are jobs throughout the whole of the of the uk but, but particularly in places such as leicester for instance or inner cities where people can find work and their work will be provided in fact in many cases people will be forced to work in, in, in factories, textile factories, for instance, their passports will be taken away. They'll be earning below minimum wage and, 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 and basically exploited. And goods will be produced, it will undercut honest producers. And this is happening in Britain. We would associate these activities with some kind of sweatshop mm. in, in, a, in a country such as Indonesia or, or Sri Lanka, to name, just to name a few. But this is happening in the UK. And the more people that we allow in, the more times that we allow the asylum system to be abused and the inadequacies of the Home Office is just in creating a situation where there is this underclass that's there to be exploited. And indeed, in many cases, if it's in the, the criminal element that's come from Albania and 12,000 uh, Albanians with criminal records have disappeared within the system. That's also been highlighted bravely by Talk TV. Whilst this continues, they will be exploiting the good people of, the, of this country who are, who are law-abiding. This is something that really does need to be addressed. But one wonders whether the authorities actually enjoy it and benefit from this failing system because, of course, it's more cheap labour. Yeah. And some corporations, they just want the cheap labour. Well, if want... that was true, then they'd all be working. But unfortunately, they're not working. They're all sitting around in a hotel in Pimlico. But listen, Robert, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Also, let's not forget, uh, the government have also been paying money, uh, £1 million, to be precise, of taxpayers' money, to a pro-migrant charity that calls UK borders systematically racist. Brilliant. Isn't it? Coming up, Rupert Bell's going to join us uh, from Epsom. The Derby takes place this weekend. You can watch it and hear it live on Talk Sport, of course. Uh, lots going on as well, uh, because if you're trying to get there by train, you might not be able to. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We've got lots going on, of course. Uh, hi, Mike. I know I'm changing the subject, says Judy in Plymouth, but can someone please talk about our poor police? They're being attacked physically non-stop, some terrible injuries. Who is out there to stand up for our police? Who uh, are then attacked verbally for any action they take? Well, there's been a couple of videos that have been doing the rounds this week as well of some police uh, who find it increasingly difficult, particularly in some urban settings, to actually arrest people because the people around them watching uh, actually then sort of pile in and try and drag the police off them. I mean, there's a couple of scenes in London this week which have been quite remarkable, where the police have taken ages to get two or three quite large assailants onto the ground, but then find themselves being pulled away from them uh, by other bystanders. Um, and it seems to me the police, unfortunately, can't win because they taser anyone. They get accused of tasering the wrong people and um, because sometimes they do that. And if they don't use that kind of force, they sometimes lose out um, and end up getting beaten up themselves. It's a difficult job. And I know that we sometimes criticise the police here on Talk TV, um, but at the end of the day, we're always criticising the management rather than the actual individual police officers out there doing a very good job on the streets as we speak. And there'll probably be a few of them down at Epsom this weekend because, of course, we've got a massive, massive event. We've got the Derby. Uh, which a lot of people seem to be calling the Epsom Derby. I've just always called it the Derby. I remember the good old days when it was on a Wednesday. It's now on a Saturday. Rupert Bell, of course, is Talk Radio's equestrian correspondent, amongst other things. Rupert is down there now. Rupert, how's it all looking? Very good uh, morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a breezy day, but the sun has finally come out. It's a lovely venue, this, and you can see the the, the grandstand behind me, the Queen of Queen stands, and actually, Mike, was a location for a James Bond film um, back in the day, uh, uh, replicating St. Petersburg Airport as a bit of useful, useless trivia for you. Very but good. of course, there is the backdrop, of course, of these demonstrations tomorrow. And I do know all the plan from Animal Rising, and we've got the train strike. It's given the organisers of the Jockey Club a huge headache, not only logistically to make sure racegoers can get here, because it's not entirely straightforward. Yes, they've got pl plenty of parking, they own lots of land around here, so they can accommodate the increased road traffic, but clearly it's frustrating, and then they have the added burden of having to deal with Animal Rising, mm. um, despite endless meetings with Animal Rising, and trying to say, please don't do anything, but they still are, by all accounts, keen to do something. Yes, exactly right. We saw the Merseyside police dealing quite well uh, with those bozos up in uh, um, the Grand National at Aintree. Um, I'd I'm hoping that the, uh, the southern version will be just as robust. Well, I know the Jockey Club have been in constant communication with uh, the Surrey police, who are obviously uh, responsible for this area. That's where Epsom is. Um, and they have been having constant uh, discussions. It's not an easy site to police, because bearing in mind the hill yes. is, uh, is an open area where anyone can go to and, and, um, and walk. And so that's one of the problems. So they can just come up and they can go there with uh, little or no difficulty. So to manage that is mm. going to give the police a bit of a headache come uh, tomorrow afternoon. I know there'll be plenty of people positioned on top of the grandstand there to monitor what's going on over the hill to try and prevent and let people know on the ground what could be going on. But if anyone's determined, it's not beyond the possibility that they can get onto the course. Yes, exactly right. And as far as the actual race itself is concerned, um, what have we got in store? I mean, depending on, uh, on who's an expert listening to this, what's the ground going to be like? It hasn't been raining that much, has it? Uh, no, it hasn't. It's perfect ground, perfect good ground now. It had a very wet spring, so the conditions 
are nearly as, as good as you would expect. Now, obviously, the main story from a racing point of view is Frankie Dettori. It's his final derby. He is the big star of the sport, the flying dismount. Mm. He's riding a horse, probably rather appropriately named, he's riding a horse called Arrest. And as someone said to me a few moments ago, the only arrest that's seen this weekend is arrest winning the derby. Nice. But um, that may be wishful thinking. But Frankie's on that horse. He's got a good chance in today's Oaks on a horse called Soul Sister. Um, and, and that would help because obviously with it being a sporting weekend that's dominated by the FA Cup, it's a, the derby is getting a bit lost. Hence the reason why it's having to be run at 1.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. And... Uh, that, that is, I suppose, frustrating for the organisers that they've had to move. But the World Cup is the reason for that, the football season being extended. So, fingers crossed that the racing can do the talking. A race first run in 1780. It is the most famous race of the world. It's the initial derby. I know, you know, we refer to it as the Epsom derby, but there is only one derby as far as I'm concerned, and it is this one. Yeah. The Americans call it a derby. So, that's a very different form. So, uh, this yeah, is the what original. It's on a unique... Well, exactly. And this is a unique piece of ground, too. If you were designing a modern race course, you wouldn't design Epsom. But for the thoroughbred, the key, the main participant, the stars of the show, the horses, it's the perfect test uh, of, of an equine. You know, can the horse sprint? Can he got balance? Everything that you want to see in a great horse. And of course, this race has been won by some of the great all-time equine greats. Mm, absolutely right. And I guess um, the cost of living crisis hits everywhere. Has it hit the derby? Because, you know, an awful lot of things are a lot more expensive now than they used to be. Um, I don't know what it's like to, to pay for anything at Epsom because I never have. Um, but you could perhaps tell me whether the prices have gone up a bit. <laughs> well, look, there's always a debate about having to pay £7.50 for a pint of beer and it's quite expensive for a gin and tonic and bottles of champagne. But actually, if you compare like with like with venues, you know, venues don't just sort of price things on their own um, and sort of think, well, I'll charge that. Because actually, you leave yourself then for bad PI. Yes, racing, people say it's expensive, but actually probably is no different than going to the O2 or going to the theatre. It's not cheap to buy a drink. So I don't, yes, it's more expensive. And that's why it is a, a debate whether people will actually come racing uh, and pay here because let's be honest to be in those stands over there it's an expensive day yeah. out and particularly the hospitality but i'm told for ascot and places hospitality is the thing that's bearing up it's probably the spontaneous race goer who's thinking twice about coming because they obviously then you know it can be an expensive day out yeah. and it was a very much a favorite of the queen wasn't it the derby and and, and it's hard to see um, the sort of horse racing connection quite as well uh, uh, going on with, with King Charles as it did with the Queen. But what's, well, the, what's the royal contingent going to look like? Uh, I think it's going to be none. Um, the, the Queen yesterday was at the British Racing School. She loves her racing. And so I suppose that is a slight disappointment that the King's not coming. His mother never wanted to miss it, would only miss it in the most exceptional circumstances. Last year, it was part of the Platinum Jubilee weekend, and she had hoped to be here for the Derby, but physically wasn't up to it, so she couldn't make it to the Derby. And obviously, we'd had COVID before that, which precluded her from coming. So it is, I suppose, from that point of view, disappointing. But... You know, and it would have added something to it. But the king will be at Royal Ascot. How many days, we don't know. He's off to Transylvania to go and um, sort of, um, <laughs> unwind. In his, no, no, and don't laugh. This Why? is somewhere he loves. He loves Transylvania, and he's got houses there, and he's been a great fan of Romania since the late 80s right. when he used to fire off missives to the Foreign Office to try and sort out the 
President Ceausescu. So he loves the country. He's got a village out there, which he's contributed hugely in terms of money. Um, in, uh, he, I think he spent two million of his own money putting in a sewage system in Romania in this village a long time ago. So he will be going on his own to unwind before we probably see him at various events, uh, trooping of the colour, obviously, just for and Royal Ascot. So he will be back in full mode um, after his trip to Transylvania. Brilliant. Well, I should look forward to it. And it's all on TalkSport on Saturday, Rick, but um, we'll be looking forward to listening to it there. Of course, the race organisers spending an extra £150,000 this year on additional security, as you heard there, uh, from Rupert. Uh, let's go back to the phones now. Uh, Tony is in Wiltshire. Hello, Tony. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, um, sir? Fine, thank you. What can I do for you? Um, just a quick one. I want you to please remind the government of exactly who they work for. Yes. Us. I think it's very important because it, it, the way I see it at the moment is they they seem to think we work for them. Mm. Yes, they seem to uh, think that giving us our own money back is somehow a gift that they can give us. Yes. But, you know, um, uh, how, how on earth did it get to this point would be my question. Oh, God knows. <laughs> I mean, Nobody I, else does. Yeah. I mean, I think we allowed it to happen because I think... I blame Tony Blair because I've got this theory about Tony Blair that he made politics so kind of relentlessly dull that people kind of switched off and didn't really actually notice what he was doing. Probably not, no. Mm. Interesting. OK, Tony, thanks very much indeed. James says this, Mike, we have Sleepy Joe falling over sandbags in front of him. We have Sir Ed Davies saying women have a penis. Sakia can't tell you what a woman is. We have people who believe they are different sexes or have no defined sex. And we have our universities unable to teach our children. The West is done and finished. And then he says, I miss our late queen. I mean, it is really ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Janet says this, Just Stop Oil have raised millions. Just how expensive can it be to run a campaign that apparently involves volunteers wearing high-vis jackets and walking? The group should be called Just Whose Pocket Is The Money Ending Up In? Well, that's a very good question. We talked about this the other day, didn't we? Uh, because Dale Vince, of course, uh, who is known to this parish, the guy who runs Ecotricity and Forest Green Rovers, uh, he's a man who has admitted bankrolling Just Stop Oil in the same way that he bankrolls the Labour Party. He's given them lots and lots of money over the past several years. Uh, we've now got an American film director joining in. So the one thing they're not short of is money, which means that they can pay people to actually demonstrate. My belief is that this organisation, Just Stop Oil, should be investigated, uh, not least by the taxman, to see where their money is going. Because if you're employing people, are you paying national insurance? Are these people who are marching up and down the streets of London actually in receipt of a salary? Are they being paid expenses? Are every, is everything above board? And can we see their accounts? Because at the moment, as far as we know, there is no organisation listed at Companies House as Just Stop Oil Limited. Is, are they a charity? Can we find out? Let's see, shall we? Let's put somebody on the case. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here at Talk TV. Plank of the Week coming up at 7pm. Uh, it will be a good one, I can tell you that. Fantastic panel. Isabel Oakshire and Richard Tice on together. And I have to say, uh, one of the things, one of the great joys of watching the two of them together, particularly when they're on together, uh, is the little sort of dynamic that goes on because they were on the talk the other night and Isabel Oakshire was giving Richard a right old going over uh, saying, he doesn't believe any of this, you know. He doesn't say any of this when he's at home. It was very funny. 
very good TV uh, and something that uh, I think you should all uh, recommend to other people. Um, Plank of the Week contestants must surely include Pip himself, Holly, Alison or anyone in the management of this morning, says Roger. Well, of course, I think you'll find that this morning, last week winner uh, was uh, ITV itself, because I think ITV still have an awful lot to answer for. ITV still have not really explained precisely how their investigations were so useless. As Kevin O'Sullivan just told us, even Philip Schofield says, oh, yeah, they asked me about it once and that was it. Not much of an investigation, really. Most investigations that are done inside companies involve sitting down uh, for quite a long time with people either from the legal department uh, or from the human resources department, the HR department. It doesn't appear as though ITV did any of that. And Carolyn McCall, the chief executive, is, as he said, and I disagree with Kevin on this, being called before a parliamentary committee. I think she should answer for what has gone on, because she has been responsible, I would say, uh, for being the steward of a company which has been driven into the dust. Quite legitimately, uh, you should be able to question that and ask what the safeguarding issues were. It's not good enough, really, for Philip Schofield just to say, oh, everything's fine, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, why have you quit then? Why are you saying you've lost everything? Why are you saying that, you know, you're feeling terribly down and at the end of your tether? He's actually put out um, one of the lines in the interview um, that he's smoking so many vapes or he's vaping so much um, that he's blistered both his hands from vaping. Eh? It really is quite an extraordinary state of affairs. But anyway, um, if you can get past the rail strikes and you can, in fact, do... um, Get, to, get yourself to uh, the Derby in Epsom. If you can get yourself to uh, the uh, Wembley Stadium for the Manchester United-Manchester City FA Cup clash, uh, which, of course, is on TalkSport, um, you'll be doing well. Let's talk to Ryan Scott Douglas from TalkSport Bet to get some odds on whether you can win some money. Um, Ryan, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. It's a lovely weekend coming up if you're, uh, if you're a sports fan. The FA Cup final was always the big sort of harbinger of the summer for me when I was growing up. You'd be the first sort of live game. You'd see the sun would be shining, you know, you, on half the pitch and the shade in the other half of the pitch. Um, you've got the, the derby going on as well. Talk sports got all of it. Um, tell us about the, up, uh, the, the Cup final odds. Well, yeah, the 142nd FA Cup final, and quite rightly, like you say, it's one of those mark-the-calendar kind of occasions, yeah. isn't it? Uh, Manchester City looking to lift it for the seventh time, Man United looking to lift, uh, lift it for the 13th time. Uh, Man City are the outright favourites today. I'm checking, it's constantly changing, but they are the outright favourites. Uh, they're on at 9-20. to 20. They were on a fantastic 25-game unbeaten run up until the, uh, Sunday against Brentford, mm. but they were rotating their team. So, you know, you can kind of... They had both eyes on the FA Cup final, I'm sure. Yes. United, I mean, and you won't, you won't often say this in an FA Cup final, especially when United are in it, but they are the outright underdogs. They're mm. on at 19-4 to 4 at the moment. Wow. Uh, but... Yeah, I know it's crazy, isn't it? But you know, I was in a I was in the streets of Manchester yesterday. City fans very, very confident. United fans feeling a little bit nervy, but they're happy. United have ended their six-year trophy drought. Uh, you know, Ten Hag's already done a fantastic job, secured a Champions League football. But the big narrative here is: Can United stop and derail Manchester City's treble hopes? Yes. Well, I mean, that is the thing. Manchester City, um, having taken on Arsenal and beaten them, much to Piers Morgan's chagrin, he's still, he's still <laughs> smarting. Don't ever mention it to him if you see him at any point at all in the building. Um, but, I mean, they have become what is one of the greatest teams of all time, haven't they? Uh, honestly, we are looking at one of the best sides the Premier League has ever seen. And uh, the Talksport Bet team, I'm really happy they got this for me. If at the start of the season you'd have backed Manchester City to win the treble, 
that would have been on at 20 to 1. Wow. In comparison, in comparison, Manchester United, the, the FA Cup and the EFL, that's at 40 to 1. So it's actually longer for United to win two trophies than it is for City to win three trophies. And it's just testament to what they are doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, usually the odds uh, in football are quite difficult to, to, to do that well on unless you're going to put loads of money down. So there's always some interesting little side bets you can do. Like, I don't know if you're doing the, uh, you know, the, the, the first goal and, you know, the number of goals and the number of corners you still do all that. Absolutely. So uh, we offer a range of markets, to be honest. Uh, uh, Harland Hattrick, again, testament to him, 52 goals this season. Absolute weapon. Uh, he is on at 9-1 to one to score a hat-trick. In comparison to Rashford, if you want him to score a hat-trick, that's 80-1. to one. Again, the golfing class there just goes to show how yeah. good Harland is. I don't like to pick a result, to be honest, Mike. So you can pick a bet builder. What I've gone for is Harland to be the first goal scorer, yeah. Bruno to score any time, and Casemiro to be shown a card. We know he likes to get a card or two. That's on at 39 to 1. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, I stay away from the results. But you can take a look at all these different markets, build your own, put a few legs in there and see what you fancy. OK. And, I mean, it's going to be a big, big day. Um, at what point do you sort of see the, uh, the, the, the game flourishing? Because quite often you'll get extra time in FA Cup finals. But are you, have you got anything for that? Absolutely. So there's been a few penalty shootouts, actually. The most recent was the Europa League final on the Wednesday. Right. Um, if you don't think it's going to be resolved in the 90 minutes and you think it's going to go to penalties, TalkSport bet, they do offer that market. Manchester United's win on penalties is currently on at 15-1. to 1, And in true 50-50 penalty shootout style, Manchester City is also on at 15-1. to 1. Mm. So take your pick there. If you think it's going to go that way, you can have a look at that market as well. OK. And let's suppose you've got anything on the uh, likelihood that nobody makes it to the final because the trains are all on strike. <laughs> we don't have that one at the moment, but I can see what I can do for you, Mike. Yeah. I know it's a nightmare, isn't it? Oh, it really is. It's what a terrible time to do it. But listen, we're all looking forward to it. It's going to be great fun. Ryan, thank you very much indeed. Ryan Scott Douglas from TalkSport Bet uh, on the FA Cup final, which is, of course, uh, on TalkSport. Uh, basically, you can hear it on DAB uh, through their website, TalkSport.com, or download the free app. Kickoff. It's at 3pm, and TalkSport is the place uh, to hear it. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.